Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I are here flying solo, and this is our first episode back from our winter layoff from all the episodes that we recorded at the Road Crop Short Course in Starville. So we've still got a couple more of those. we got a couple more sponsor podcasts to drop, and we have another episode from some of our speakers at the short course. But today we're dropping this on Thursday, kind of a short notice with the Dicamba ruling that was issued in the district court in Arizona this week. So Tom and I are going to get into a little bit of that. Don't know a whole lot at this point, but we wanted to get it on your radar and tell you what we knew at this point. So it's I don't know, 48 hours plus since about, all this broke loose you on You called Tuesday. me about 48 hours ago. When, <laughs> when, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Hold on. Is today Thursday? Yeah, it was. No, it was 24 hours ago you called me, yeah. you called me yesterday. Wow. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit fuzzy. And, and I will say, as we finish rolling through the content that we have that finishes and encompasses what we recorded at Row Crop Shore Course and a couple other things we recorded there, we'll be moving into new content here in a few weeks. But give us a shout. Call us. Text us. Send us something on Twitter. Give us some ideas for some content that you really think that is necessary and something you want to hear. That, that, a lot of times that's helpful, and, if, and it may spur additional ideas because I think we, we definitely have some ideas for content to move forward with, but we're always looking for, for good ideas for content. I talked to a guy in San Antonio when we were down there for the weed meetings, and he's a consultant in Louisiana. I believe his son goes to LSU, and, and he came just to see what the meeting was about. And, and he commented about he listens to us every name some day of the week. And that was pretty cool to be in Texas and talk to a guy from Louisiana that listened to the podcast. And several of y'all, either at the short course or as we bumped into you through the winter, you know, have had positive comments. So we want to do what y'all want us to do. Yeah, any suggestions that you have, just fire away. And if we can make it happen – uh, we will sure try to do what y'all want us to do. And having some additional guest content would always be good, too. It's it's nice to be in here ourselves, being as it, it's been a little while since we've recorded anything in this studio. It's kind of like knocking the cobwebs out of the room. <laughs> yeah, the, the MacBook had, it had, to, it had to catch up with updates and <laughs> stuff like that. So we've been in here for a little while letting it figure itself out. We'll admit they're a little wonky at times anyways, but when you don't fire them off for a little while, they get even a little backed up. All right, Tom. So many questions yesterday. I don't know how many times that I answered the phone. I, I Really, I stopped saying hello, and I just answered the phone saying I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially the people that I knew. You know, I saw their name, and I was like, well, I don't know what he's calling about. I don't know, dude. And, and I don't, really. Well, why don't you walk us through what you know right now? Give us a little bit of background in case somebody's going to listen to this and they don't necessarily know, which I'm sure that's not going to be as commonplace as what you would expect. But they're probably, I mean, I even asked you for a little bit of background this morning because I'm playing catch-up. Sometime on Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon in our world, because that's when the, the calls and texts started, there was a ruling from the U.S. District Court in the District of Arizona that vacated the labels for Extendamax, Ingenia, and Tavium, which are the three products that we have labeled for use on our Extend crops. So those are the dicamba-containing products 
that we have labeled for use. Extendamax and Ingenia being dicamba only, and then Tavium is a premix of dicamba and esmetolachlor. This happened once before. I believe it was on the original labels, but it was in, during the summer of 2020. Is it the Ninth Circuit Court, the, the one in That would in be the San one Francisco. in California, yes. There was a suit filed in that district, and they ruled to vacate the labels. So that was in June, and for all practical purposes, here we were done. You know, we still had some applications going out, and then EPA said you can use existing stocks. If you had stock on hand, you could use it. That was 2020. So then the labels were updated, reissued, and we've been under a 2020 or 2021 label since that point. Now we have the labels vacated again. Big difference is it's February, it's not June. And so we don't know what's going to happen. Well, in 48 hours out, you also don't know what's going to happen. And that's neither here nor there. So for all practical purposes, these products don't exist because there's no federal label for their use. The ruling, if you look at that document, it's like 47 pages long or something. Don't try to read it on your phone. It's tough. It's a PDF file. But uh, the long and short of it, the summary points, if you look at the farm publications, the people that have written articles on it, basically the ruling says that EPA violated FIFRA. They violated the notice and comment mandates. They didn't let the public state what their feelings were on the labeling. And we do those comment periods. If you heard episode with uh, Stanley and Larry, this, uh, that was this week that, that we released it. We talked about commenting on the Endangered Species Act stuff, I believe. Uh, and I think we all indicated how important that was to take time to put together a concise statement yeah. in that comment period because that is excruciatingly important and it fits right in with what you're saying. Yeah, so I don't <clears> – <throat> that's a standard practice for any kind of relabeling of a product. There's an open comment period and I don't recall the details on the labels for these products. The other thing that the ruling stated was that the restrictions on these most recent labels, these are my words, reduce or prevent or eliminate off-target movement. There's varying opinions on that, and we're not going to get into that here today. And that would just apply to the use of those herbicides. That's correct. That does nothing regarding the trait-containing seed that you would purchase to plant in the field. That's correct. And, yeah. and, and I think at least from where yeah. my mind goes, that's important to point out. So essentially you have seed that contains the trait. As of this point, you just can't expect to use those herbicides. Yes. Jason, what are our expectations from this point based on what we know and based on what you just said? Is the EPA or do you understand or have you heard whether or not the EPA is going to appeal that specific ruling? We don't know. And I think that's an acceptable answer at this point. And you had said that based on Monday, nobody that you'd talked to since that point in time was even aware that this was in court at that point in time and a potential ruling would be coming out on Tuesday. And, and who knows, based on how they handle the docket, that may have been done in the fall 
and you were just waiting on the rulers I believe rulings that, and to I come believe down from the judge at that point or the judges that would have been on that panel. And I believe that's the case, Tom. I, I think this was completed in sometime late fall, and the ruling is just now, you know, the ruling had to be compiled and authored and all that. So, again, and it's a lengthy document, too. So that took some time. So we, we don't know. And again, this is week one, literally a few hours into the deal. So we don't know what EPA is going to do. I will say that this is a ruling against EPA. This is not a ruling against Bayer or BASF or Syngenta. The ruling was against the EPA because they are the ones that issue the label. We know about the glyphosate lawsuits and things like that. You see a lot of advertisements on TV for, and this is not that. It's not really anything like that. This is a ruling against the federal agency, in this case being the EPA. So we don't know what their reaction will be and how they will proceed. We also don't know how the manufacturers will respond. I guess their response would have to be contingent on EPA's response. Because if EPA doesn't try to appeal it and maintain some labeling, then I don't know what recourse the manufacturers would have, but I may be way, well, I am way out of my comfort zone and I'm probably way beyond anything I know by saying that. I would just expect that any of that would take time because it's going to take time for them to digest a 50-page legal brief and then work on their own briefs from those sides. And that does not happen typically overnight, even though there's plenty of people burning the midnight oil working on those things. Uh, Another thing, Tom, I mentioned that ruling in 2020, and then we were, EPA allowed us to use existing stocks. We don't know about that at this point. And, you know, I expect sometime, hopefully, in the very near future, we will know something about that. But I think you've got some complexity in that area of this issue that we didn't have four years ago in 2020 because of the time of the year, because it's February, right? So we've certainly already purchased seed, most of that seed more than likely is in some degree of having been delivered. It may not be sitting in your farm shop yet, but it's the transaction has already gone through. Chemistry, there's just a bunch of different ways that people handle their accounts doing that. And we're not going to get into all the nuances there, but we're going to have some folks have already purchased chemistry, some folks that haven't. So then how do you manage those existing stocks? What are your questions and conversations been with the regulatory body in Mississippi regarding this? Because you've had to have had conversations with them. I spoke to Laura Voller yesterday morning and some others as well. And I think Laura's message was, let's let some of the smoke clear out and and see what exactly what we're dealing with before we jump out and say something. And you and I debated this very thing as well, whether we needed to do this today or did we need to wait. Our decision was, hey, let's just go ahead and talk about it. Let's tell them what we know. And, you know, it's subject to change and it's going to change. It's not subject to change. I guarantee you it's going to change. If you don't listen to this until February the 20th, everything we're saying may be moot uh, because there may be some big change. And so that's why we're Basically, we're telling you what we know, and then we want to get into what we think 2024 might look like when the pigweeds start coming up. Well, and we talk about having a plan A and a plan B, and I think that this is a perfect point in time for somebody to sit down and basically draw a line down the middle of a sheet of paper and have a plan A and a plan B. Plan A, you have dicamba, something changes, 
that becomes available for the season or plan B you don't. Right. And where we sit right now, you need to focus on plan B because you don't have the availability of that particular suite of products. Correct. So this affects cotton and soybeans, extend cotton and soybeans. Again, seed-wise, likely limited options, A, because the seed's already been purchased, and then B, the other technologies, namely the Enlist technology. I don't know, but I, we could not supply the demand to replace all that, regardless of the logistics of doing it. So that option is there, the Enlist technology, which you know, allows you to, to spray the specific formulations of 2,4-D, also resistant to liberty. So, but on our extend system, we still have two levels of that. We still have extend soybean varieties. And so those varieties are resistant to dicamba and Roundup. The extend flex varieties are resistant to Roundup, Dicamba, and Liberty. So the Liberty is an option there for post-emergence weed control, namely of Palmer Amaranth, and the cotton is Extend Flex as well. That's there, but just be conscious of whether your variety on soybeans of is which Extend. Which one you plant in Correct. the field, because at the end of the day, you can't take that back out once you put it in the jug and spray it across the field. If you make a mistake, you've made a big mistake. Yeah, and Liberty's really good on soybeans. Liberty will will do a good job, particularly on a smaller soybean plant. Now, how do we manage it from a standpoint of adding <laughs> residual herbicides well, I think you got, the planter? I think you've got to make sure that your residual program is robust and works well. So now we're back to conversations we were having 2014, 15, 16, particularly on soybeans. We had aired towards the pre-plant application, which is can get a little messy, you know, depending on soil texture and stale beds and not stale beds and a lot of nuances there agronomically. But if we're just speaking about weed control, those pre-plant applications, so we're talking 10 to 14 days prior to planting of a good two, three-way mixture of residual herbicides, if that treatment gets incorporated, you eliminate the splash injury potential, which is one component of injury potential from residual herbicides. We can't completely eliminate injury potential, but we at least can eliminate the splash injury potential. So on a stale bed, that's definitely an option. And back then, we encouraged a pre-plant application and then a pre-application. All right, I think we can debate the finer points of that depending on the first post-emergence application, you know, whether you're going to have a dual product, metolachlor or a Zidua Anthem, you know, those type products. The timing of that, I think you can debate the utility or, or contrast the utility of that early post-emergence treatment, the timing of it versus a treatment right behind the planter. Either way, well, however it fits your system, a robust residual herbicide program is going to be critical, and it's even more critical on cotton than it is on soybeans just because of the lack of options that we have on cotton. Uh, we have brake. Brake was not around at the time. It's a, strictly a, a pre-herbicide. 
I do think the cotton is more complicated than the soybeans. Didn't you used to have that broken out in the beginning of the weed control guidelines? Yes, we, we have a we have a herbicide resistant weed section in the weed control guide, and that's all in there. Is it still in there? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. And, and I would refer everybody to that should they be able to get the PDF online if they have questions about which particular products will fit within their particular program on their particular farm. That outlined that pretty exclusively. So Liberty, we hadn't talked about Liberty in a while. And Liberty's great herbicide. It's got some quirks to it. The things you need to consider with Liberty, A, consider it more of a contact herbicide than a systemic herbicide. And there's some nuance to that, but it's more of a contact than it is a systemic herbicide, a la glyphosate, dicamba, 2,4-D. Timing is of the essence. So we've, Probably gotten a little sloppy with our timings with our Roundup dicamba-based treatments. Uh, And I'm talking about size of palm amaranth at the time of the application. Liberty, you do not have near as much wiggle room. So when you start to think about a four-inch palm amaranth, just know that if if you're saying your average is four, it's an average, right? So there's probably a lot of six and eights out there too. And that's when you're going to start getting into the ragged control. Two applications is excellent most of the time on well-timed treatments. And those should be about 10, 12 days apart, depending on uh, logistics and getting around on acres and stuff. I wouldn't stretch it much past 14 days. And then I think the last thing that's just crossing my mind with Liberty off the top of my head, Tom, is the time of day thing, which is very, very important for Liberty. And and some of y'all listening may remember that we learned that the hard way together. Steckles had some really good research on that over the years. Yeah, we were were in on that because I think we all, we learned it together uh, and it was a hard lesson. It works much, much better if you spray it in the middle of the day. Whatever you want to call it, middle of the day, at least two or three hours after the sun comes up. And then on in our geography was less sensitive in the afternoon. We could get closer to dark in the afternoon without it tailing off. Uh, some of the other folks had more problems in the afternoon than what we had. So you're better between the hours of 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. than you are between yeah, you know, 2 p.m. and 7 p.m. Yeah, for us, it would be more like 9 and 5, you, okay. know, that'd be, you know, in the summertime, in May, about the, the day length that we have, May time frame. The problem with that is, when does the wind blow? The wind blows in the middle of the day. It does, when so, the sun gets up good and high. So that's not naturally not a perfect system, right? And then back on soybeans, femesophen. All right, so that's reflex. It's flexstar. It's prefix. We've relied heavily, heavily on it from 2008, maybe, seven, eight, when the resistant palmer really started moving across the delta. We went to almost exclusively a femesophen-based program to control palmer post-emergence. 2015, we identified PPO, which is the herbicide family that Fomesifen's in. We have PPO-resistant palm amaranth in the Mississippi Delta. We know at the time 
that it was kind of contained to the northwest corner of the delta, same place the glyphosate resistance started. What we don't know is where it's gone in the past 10 years. You know, how has it moved around? Because we haven't used that chemistry. We have not relied on it as our exclusive tool to manage that weed. So I'm afraid that if we go back to heavy use of formesophen, it's possible, not even going to say likely, but it's possible that we find that problem in areas that we did not know about going back to before the commercialization of Extend. What's your plan on using that herbicide? If you use it this year, what do you have to think about moving into 2025? You're not going to be able to put corn in some of those fields. Isn't that right? Depend rate and timing. Okay. The rotation to corn is 10 months for basically a, a one pint rate. And then if you, it goes to 18 months if you go over a pint and a half. It's been many years since we had a problem with that. I mean, we, we used formesophen heavily for a number of years before Extend, after the years that we had some real carryover issues with formesophen. So that was, for those of you that don't remember, spring of 2010, spring of 2011, we had some widespread carryover problems with formesophen. Most of that was related to the weather during the winters those two years. And that really influenced the persistence of that herbicide in the soil. Hadn't had a problem with it in the meantime. We still use a lot of prefit. It's still widely used. It's just not toting the load, so to speak, on managing Palmer. Well, it's definitely something to keep track of. I mean, keep really good notes on the fields where you put it out there and then plan on what you're going to put in those for the future is at least the main reason I stuck it in my mind to make sure I mentioned it. Agronomically, the things that you can consider, and don't throw anything at me, one planting date, if we can adjust our planting date, and we don't know what the weather's going to do two months from now when we get to you know, soybean planting time. But if you could shift that planting date up a few days, you could assist yourself in avoiding some of that period of, of heavy flushes of Palmer. Uh, so that's one tool the simpler of the two that I'm I'm going to tell you. The second one, where it fits, and again, not advocating this because we've got years and years of experience and mountains of data to suggest that the way we grow beans works, but where it fits, if you could grow a narrow row bean, drilled bean, 20-inch bean, whatever equipment scenario that you have access to, that will help. That narrower drill row will reduce the time from you know, plant emergence to full canopy coverage when you can suppress emergence. There's a lot of agronomics to that, and so I'm just throwing that as an option strictly related to weed control. Field cultivation and lay-by application? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> okay. Where, where, I mean, that's where, where applicable. Yeah, where you got it uh, and, and where you're willing to do it. We have some logistical challenges timing-wise, you know, whether that's getting around on acres with sprayers or an operation like what you just described, Tom. It's just time-limiting and, and time in April, May, and June in the heavy parts of the weed control, time is the one thing that just gets away from us. There's just too much to do at one time. Closing thoughts? When we know something else, we'll do another podcast. I think that's a good statement to make.
This has been our outlet. Uh, you know, we talked to Eric Tuesday at the consultants meeting. Eric said, hey, man, it's time to do a corn podcast. And it is. I mean, we're going to be getting close to that time, relatively certain. So this has been our outlet for getting y'all information as quickly as we can. And so just know that, you know, when we know something new, we'll try to get it to you through this platform as quickly as we can. Hold tight. Now, I told a couple of people on the phone yesterday, Tom, I'm afraid this is going to be one of those that people that deal are dealing with this. You're not going to remember what you were doing at the point that you got the first phone call or text about it, but you remember what you've been doing ever since you got the first phone call or text about it. But this is the hand that we're getting dealt for 2024, so uh, we'll do whatever we can, humanly possible, to to help y'all get through it as easily as possible. Thanks. We appreciate the time. We appreciate the listeners. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you want to hear. That's important. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.